I started in NATO a young professionals program. We offer something like 20 positions. You know how many applications we got for 20 positions? Or thousands. Thousands. And they do a great thing. For three years, they rotate. And once they are working with us in Brussels, then they go to America and then they go, I don't know where else. We decided to create two things. One, to have a sort of an ecosystem of test centers, accelerators, where uh, startups and young entrepreneurs can test their ideas for free. If that technology is promising, NATO allies to put some money into the first ever multinational sovereign venture capital fund. You're listening to part two of my awesome conversation with Mircea Giuana, the Deputy General Secretary of NATO. If you haven't yet listened to part one, be sure to check that one out first. Without further ado, here's part two with the amazing Mircea Giuana. All right, let's talk about some more positive things. Tell us about NATO's billion-dollar entrepreneur fund, what's behind that, and what's its purpose. Listen, when I, uh, when uh, Secretary John Stoltenberg uh, recruited me for the job to be his number two, he gave me an interesting job. He said, Mircea, that's me. Uh, I want you to be the champion of innovation in NATO. And for me, innovation is not only technology. Innovation is, is a mindset. You are innovating with this podcast, with your great crew here. Uh, I you know, try to innovate in, in, in dealing with my kids and education. Uh, Do they listen to you or you're the dad so they don't really listen, but they listen to someone else? They listen, they, they, they listen to me uh, and that's why I'm trying to use my chips wisely because they listen to me but not on everything I say. So I have to be very, very careful. But uh, I chair the Innovation Board in NATO and that's a formidable uh, experience for me uh, because I look to every single technology Every single technology, AI and big data, biotech, quantum, everything, space, cyber, with the lenses of, of, of national security. And you see the same technology, the same, the same basically uh, object can be used in a ubiquitous way for doing great good, great good, fighting cancer and, you know, uh, better education systems and many good things, supply chain, everything else. When we decided uh, to, to really nurture uh, what we call the innovation ecosystem in this one billion uh, strong uh, alliance uh, with so many great universities, uh, with probably, uh, I think, most of the Nobel Prize laureates coming from NATO countries, we decided to create two things. One, to have a sort of an ecosystem of test centers, accelerators, where uh, startups and young entrepreneurs can test their ideas for free in something like 100 places all over the alliance, from Romania and Estonia all the way to Canada and America, everything in between. And if you have an idea for a dual-use technology on anything, you can go and come to us and say, listen, I would like, knock, knock, door is open. We'd like to take this in, in what we call DIANA, which is the Defense Innovation Accelerator for the North Atlantic, that's the acronym, and you can go and test it in AI in Romania or something in Texas, whatever. And if, if that technology is promising, then the innovation fund that we started, which is the first sovereign multinational venture capital fund, sounds quite, quite a tension in what I'm saying. Yeah, it is a tension, but we convinced NATO allies to put some money into the first ever multinational sovereign venture capital fund. So when you have a company testing an idea in Diana and then getting a little bit of seed money from the NATO innovation fund, and we just recruited the management of the fund. It would be done by professionals, it's not bureaucrats. We hire people from the venture capital industry, the best of the best. 
So that company, with their idea tested in Diana and a little bit of seed money, they mature uh, the, the innovation. The young ones have the equity in their pocket, not forced to sell it too soon. Um, do you keep some of the equity? Uh, we don't. We want them to be successful. It's not for us making money. We are, not, not, we, are, we, are, it's a, we are an international organization. We don't make profit out of that. So all these uh, young entrepreneurs with an idea which is already consolidated, with a little bit of money uh, to help them cross the, 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 you know, the, the death valley of, 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 uh, uh, of the place between an idea and the marketplace, and then they can go to the real big venture capital or the big tech and the others and mature their business. And then, uh, and the benefit for us that we have smart technology from young startups producing for us dual use technology that can be used for the civilian purpose, for the good positive sense, but also making sure that it can be used also in national security. Is good business? Yes. Is it smart? Yes. And it's also addressing an issue uh, because not every single nation in NATO are as uh, you know powerful economically or financially, or the depth of the of the uh, of the venture capital system, or the wealth of the American universities. So some countries are smaller. So I have also the Albanians of the world, and uh, you know, and and Croatia, and, and other countries. My country, Romania, is is a big country in the region. It is not you know the, the the most affluent of the nations in the universe. So in a way, we also create uh, less asymmetry of power between allies. And again, as I mentioned, from the Baltic Sea to the Black Sea and from the Atlantic to the Pacific Ocean, we have a huge ecosystem of innovation. And I'm very proud that what Jens Stoltenberg told me, Mircea, be the champion of innovation. I have a sense of, of you know, mission accomplished in a way because we have done things that are, will be helping uh, our... In the competition with China, because that's the most formidable challenger we had in centuries uh, as the political West, Maintaining our edge in technology is the essence of this competition. Is the essence of this competition. So it would be a pity for us not to put to work the fantastic talent coming from bigger or smaller nations in NATO. And as I, as I said, Finland and Sweden come joining, uh, will also add tremendous depth and sophistication to our technology uh, ecosystem. So in the VC world where I live, you're a venture firm, you get over a thousand business plans a year, some 5,000. You have to sift through those. I imagine you're talking about a worldwide billion dollar fund. I imagine you're going to get tens of thousands of submissions. How are you going to manage that and pick out the good ones and the bad ones? How much are you funding per company? And then who should they contact for all the people listening to this podcast? They're not sending you an email, but how, how do you go about it to have someone look at your business plan? So basically, um, on the Diana side, in Europe, uh, we have a European HQ for Diana, which is based at Imperial College in London. Uh, there's a, uh, we recruited the head of Diana, Deep Chana, who uh, used to be a professor at Imperial and is now running Diana together with a professional team. And they're issuing challenges. So we don't open the fund or Diana to everything. We say, okay, now we're more interested in quantum. I'll give an example. And we are waiting for applications for, from startups for Diana, and then Innovation Fund in, through challenges. So we don't get everything at the same time because that will be very difficult to, to do this. Uh, I'll be speaking at the Milken uh, conference uh, tomorrow after we, uh, we have this podcast, and I'll be on the panel with the, uh, with the, with the, with the, with the person we recruited to, to run our, our Innovation Fund. 
So now we have two institutions that have a governance that is uh, actually like in real life. It's not NATO running those things. We have professionals hired to do this thing. So yeah, there will be uh, a cap of money uh, and a challenge on, on what kind of technologies uh, and what kind of applications we are waiting. And then through a process, uh, we can really manage. Uh, and we hope to be uh, lots of requests uh, for funding and uh, lots of requests for testing ideas in, in Diana. So, and of course, this, this is something which is a learning curve. Uh, we are not, uh, we are not going to stop here. Probably will, the, the fund will grow, I hope, even bigger. And uh, also in Diana, it's not a static process. Uh, so tomorrow I could have another university. Uh, I don't know. Now we have in Rome, we have our Italian-American friends here in the studio. And by the way, uh, the top military commander in NATO is uh, Chris Cavoli, uh, superb uh, military leader. He's also Italian-American. So we have now in, in Turin, Italy, uh, one of the, uh, or more of the, what Italy offers to Diana. Next year it could be somebody from Turin or something from Milan or in Bucharest. Uh, my alma mater, the Political University, uh, is offering a test center for AI. Next time could be something in Cluj in Transylvania offering something else. So that's also a sort of a competition. Uh, inside the, the innovation ecosystem in, uh, in NATO to have more. In Denmark, we have the Niels Bohr uh, uh, Research Institute uh, doing on quantum. It's the best in Europe that we have. We'll have Sweden Finland offering uh, new things to us and we come. So, yeah, there'll be a lot of dynamism and this will be uh, with, with the speed of private sector. We don't want to have a bureaucratic process impeding uh, on the velocity or uh, the capacity of, of the fund and Diana to, to reach its potential. What are the check sizes that you're writing or are going to write? Uh, I'm not going to get into that. When it comes about money, I'm, <laughs> I'm, uh, I'm, uh, I'm not into that. But uh, as I mentioned, uh, it's already on the, on the websites of both the Innovation Fund in NATO and Diana. And I think anyone interested could, could look it up. It will be a very transparent professional process. On our path to success, we all have mistakes, we overcome challenges. Can you talk about a few of yours on a personal basis and NATO's and what you learned from them? Listen, I, I mentioned one of the, my, my credos in life, which is uh, never be satisfied with yourself. There's always room to do more, to do better. And not necessarily in terms of you know, having more money in your bank account. It always helps but to be a more fulfilled human being, to be a better father or a better husband or a better friend or a better citizen. So I always believe that there is a sort of a, a ongoing uh, cycle of, 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 of investing in yourself and doing, doing something with your life. The other thing that happened when I was a very young ambassador to America, I got an invitation totally by accident uh, because I was a young guy, scared to death what, the, what I'm doing here in this big country uh, so young and relatively unexperienced. And I got an invitation to the Aspen Institute for a leadership a seminar. And they do this, uh, not coincidentally, also from 1949, uh, the same year when NATO was founded, the Aspen Institute uh, in Colorado was founded. And they started basically uh, with a, a Goethe bicentennial, big, big, big gathering. And the old mining city was dying and they just came from all over the world with philosophers and business leaders and a music tent, which was assembled. You see the photo with the old Fords, uh, you know, coming, coming to that place. 
And ever since they are doing these leadership programs, and I attended one of the leadership programs, which is not about skills, it's about values. It's about the moral compass that, uh, and the ongoing conversation, a long history, because from the Roman Empire days and ancient Greece to today's world and tomorrow's world, there is the same conversation between community and freedom, between individual and collective rights. And this kind of, of, of leadership seminar that is basically uh, helping you understand the ongoing conversation about who we are and what's the meaning of a good society and a fulfilled life. And the combination between mind, body, and spirit. We find it also in church, but you also find it with philosophers. And for me, it was a sort of a, a tremendous wake-up call for me. As a young guy, understanding that uh, being successful in life uh, is not enough if you also do something more. So when I returned to, to, to Romania, uh, I started the NASPA Institute in Romania. And to give an example of a huge satisfaction I had out of the thousands of young ones that we've been educating and training in leadership in my part of the world. And I was receiving a deputy defense minister of Ukraine in NATO HQ just last week. And he says, a young guy, big, uh, you know, this khaki squeza uniform that they're wearing. I said, Mr. Joanna, I would like to thank you. You changed my life. I attended the Aspen Institute Romania Leadership Seminar. Amazing. And the, and, the, and the Sunday before, I go to the Romanian church in Paris. I was visiting Paris, and I go to the, to the service. I'm a Christian Orthodox. And I go to the service. At the end of the service, a young priest, young priest, you know, the Byzantine robes, Christian Orthodox, comes to me, Mr. Joanna, I'd like to thank you. You changed my life. I attended a leadership seminar as a young uh, student at Business School of Bucharest, uh, uh, to the Aspen Institute. And now I turned to become a priest because my, my call is with God and everything he wanted to do. So I'm just saying that we, we, I, I strongly believe in leadership and what we call value-based leadership. And values are not identical. You probably, uh, in your, uh, in your, you know, philosophy of life, you're probably uh, driven, you know, by results and, and things. Others are more, let's say, more community-oriented. Some people who like to, to, to do you know, to start a charity. Others would like to start a big business. Others would just like to be left alone and, 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 and just be able to, to live their lives. Some pe- people would like to go, you know, uh, to become a Buddhist and, and to, to have a sort of a, a life of, 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 you know, of self-improvement spiritually. I'm not saying it's as one size fits all, but investing in young leaders and the values animated uh, in them is the most rewarding thing uh, in my life. And this is something that I'll continue to do. And my dream, uh, when I really get old, well, now I'm, I'm still doing pretty well, is to become a moderator of Aspen Leadership Seminars. And I'm preparing to take a course and to be able to, to have the same joy with many, many young generations to come. So that's my, my thing, investing in young people to have the best possible uh, and most fulfilled lives that they can have. So what are five ingredients it takes to be a great leader? If you can list them, one, two, three, four, five. Number one, my lesson. They are not such thing as a natural born leader. You can build yourself a leader, even if you're a shyer person. I was very shy when I was young. That's hard to believe, by the way. Yeah, I was very shy, very shy. And it was probably communist education and my dad and all these things. I was shy. And you see, I, I, I changed gears. Uh, and, and here I am, you know, if you, if you wake me up really at night and tell me you go 
to the fantastic, you know, uh, stadium in, in, in Los Angeles when, because I, I'm still watching the, the, you know, the Super Bowl, uh, halftime show of last year with hip hop and, and, uh, and, uh, you know, with the DRE and, and Snoopy Dogg. Uh, <laughs> if you put me speaking in front of 100,000 people at the, uh, at the stadium, I go and speak. I have no problem in doing this. And the same guy, 30, 40 years back, I was the shyest person in the universe. So the first lesson, uh, you can really build yourself to being a leader. Thank you. Secondly, there's not one type of leader. There are some leaders that are leading by example. There are leaders that are team leaders, others that are basically uh, uh, leading from behind. So, and the third one is uh, uh, never be happy uh, with the kind of success that you have in your, in that moment of life. I can only give, you know, explicit uh, leadership lessons because uh, God has made all of us unique. And I'm, I'm too humble uh, and also too experienced in life to say that my recipe can be replicated by anyone else. The only thing we all have is the capacity to learn, to improve, to be better human beings, and basically try to make a difference in the world. And it could be a difference in making a great podcast like I hope we, we are doing today. Or you can really be a president of a country. Or you can be a CEO of a great company. Or you just be a great, a great civic leader or somebody that is just educating uh, as a single mom your kids to be successful in life through sacrificing yourself. So there's no one type of leadership. Definition of success is subjective. And thirdly, we always have something good in ourselves that we can, uh, we can offer and we can do a little bit of good in our lives. So sometimes we think about being a leader, not just with straight up the middle tangible things, but things like humor. You're known to be a funny guy. How important is it to be funny, to be a team leader? Does that help you become a team leader? I want people to think about in this podcast ways to improve in ways that we don't normally think about to improve ourselves in our search for excellence. Listen, as we grow more experienced, uh, there is a tendency uh, for all of us to become a little bit, how should I put it, rigid and dry from within. And a little bit, a little bit, uh, a little bit arrogant. Because we know how to do things. And, and, and you sometimes, know, I, I don't. Sometimes. <laughs> yeah. But anyway, we have such great experience that we start believing that our experience is in itself, uh, enough. It is not. So what I'm trying to, to, to improve in myself is to be able to listen more, to be a little bit more humble. I'm not an arrogant person. I'm a rel relatively modest kind of person. But sometimes I have so many things to share that I'm not listening to the other guy. I'm always trying to tell them what I believe is good for them. And in, it's a two-way street. And even the, a guy would not, you know, uh, uh, the, the, the average Joe has something to tell you. Every guy, young or old, man or woman, whatever kind of, of nationality or whatever person they are, they, they, they have, they have something to offer. When I was doing campaigning in my home country of Romania, because I, I by the way, I won the elections and, uh, I was declared the victor, uh, of the presidential elections. Uh, so I went to bed as a president of Romania and I woke up with some suspicious ballots coming in and said, no, 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 no. And it was proven it was basically a rigged election. So I, I, I came, uh, I overcame that thing 
look, I am, I'm, I'm, I'm moving forward. So what I'm just saying, don't, don't, don't let yourself, especially for the more experienced, the more seasoned leaders, don't let that kind of wealth of knowledge and experience dominate you. There's always something to learn. Listen to the others. Even the most, let's say, uh, uh, you know, uh, n- unspectacular human being can teach you something, a lesson of life, a story. Listen more uh, and then try to give back uh, as much as you possibly can. You talk about success a minute ago. What does it take to be successful? Can you give us three or five ingredients of success? There's only one. Never give up. Never give up. Life is tough. You're up, you're down. I was up, I was down. You can one day be sick, one day have a problem, one day you have a problem with your girlfriend or whatever. I mean, you know, things happen in life. Uh, never give up. Never give up. We have one thing, one life. And God has put us on this earth to do the best with our lives. Never give up. There's always a second chance. There's always a third chance. As long as you, 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 you keep the faith that by, by doing the good things and the right things, you can, you can do things in, in life. So never give up. That's the only one lesson. Nothing more. One. Never give up. Things are sometimes very successful. Keep them rolling. Sometimes they go, uh, they go south. Don't, don't give up. Always there is a chance to, to come back and do better things with your life. So one of the things that's led to my success is something that I call extreme preparation. That's out preparing anybody else in anything that I do. If someone's preparing one hour for something, I may go 10 or 15 or 20. Has extreme preparation been important to any of your accomplishments and success? And can you, and can you give us some very specific examples of that? Listen, uh, I'm coming from a, a, a culture uh, which is not always very disciplined. Uh, I mentioned the fact that we are very close to Italians as Romanians. So we have a lot of creativity. Sometimes we know that we, we are talented people, really. Uh, and, and, and sometimes when you have a sort of a natural uh, talent for something, preparation seems to be less important. You know, like, yeah, but people, people get lazy. That's the problem. And my lesson is that even if you're very gifted and talented in sports, in music, in politics, in whatever profession you have, always find uh, time to prepare properly. There is not, uh, look, look at the, uh, you know, uh, uh, tennis. I love tennis. And, and look, uh, this young Spanish guy who is now dominating tennis. He's, immensely gifted, but he's so hardworking as well. I don't think that extreme preparation, as you mentioned, it would be something for me, to be honest, because I don't think I have enough patience to go hours and hours. But what I learned also in NATO, and also I learned in America, and in my days in France when I was young, is that talent is not enough. You have to also work to put your talent into work. So in NATO, there is absolutely no single thing we do without what we call a prep meeting before. There are people from a speech. I will give a commencement speech at Virginia Tech uh, in, in, in a week from now. I'll be at Stanford. I'll be in Washington. Uh, everywhere there is a preparation. To be in. So yeah, you're right. I'm not a big fan of extreme preparation, but I'm a, uh, I'm, I'm a great fan of, uh, of proper serious preparation uh, because that's the key to success. How many times are you going to run through that speech before you get up there? A few times. 
a few times. Uh, I give you the, the, the recent speech I gave at the Imperial College, which the annual lecture. It was something more solemn, you know, British, uh, tradition, a great school. Uh, and, uh, uh, I think I prepared with my, with my team, uh, a few times back and forth. Um, and in the end, also at the last minute, I also made some corrections. Uh, and I also a little bit improvised on the margins during the speech. But uh, there's always a back and forth process with my team, and I, I'm I'm very very fortunate to have a fantastic team of speechwriters in NATO. There's always me. I try to also to put something of me. Uh, you can have great speechwriters, but there's always something from from your personality and your vision that has to be uh, to be present in uh, any any public appearance. I think part of preparation too is preparing for the unexpected. Ah. And when your daughter was six months old, you were in President Clinton's office and she bit his hand and your son was too and took something off of his desk. So how do you prepare for very awkward moments like that and keep your cool and not lose it? It was, it was such a, yeah. Um, I remember it was a snowy day in Washington. And when they uh, invite you to present the credentials to the White House to the president, they they send you a big limo from the White House to pick you up. It's a very, you know, solemn thing. And our residence in Washington was basically on a on a sort of a street which was a little bit steep. And of course, American cars, especially in Washington, they don't have enough. You know, f- there's no four wheel drive. <laughs> so so all of us, you should see me uh, and my team. And the drivers, uh, you know, pushing the car because he couldn't leave the house. And then we had our kids with us. But President Clinton was so, so gracious. Uh, Sandy Berger, God bless his soul, was there. So everybody was looking so amused at our son taking a big stick from Zaire, very colorful, from, uh, from the Resolute desk from President uh, Clinton and playing with this. So, yeah, we are prepared for the unexpected, but also have humor. Because if you take things too seriously, then you could have a problem because things, you have to treat them also as they come. You cannot curate everything. You cannot prepare for everything. So leave a little bit of, of, uh, of, of humor. And that's how uh, uh, all of us treated that moment in the Oval, which was just great for, for our kids and for us. What do you think about the value of mentors? How important are they in our success? I believe in, in, uh, I believe in mentorship. Uh, I mean, I've done this a few times. Uh, um, I also believe in the indirect mentorship kind of thing. So I have people that influence my life, uh, and they were not my mentors explicitly. They were so, that their example was so powerful that they were basically uh, mentoring me without them knowing they are my mentors. So I think the second uh, version for me is more valuable. And, uh, and, uh, there were a few, few people like this that really influenced my life. Uh, it's also a matter of, 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 of timing. Uh, what kind of situation are you in and what kind of, of, uh, of influence you can get in a, in a moment like this? When you're very successful, sometimes you believe you know it all. That's when, a mistake. Yeah. When you're down, you're more open, uh, for advice, for wisdom, uh, for compassion for love, uh, for faith. So that's why uh, I think that the uh, the most important mentors for me were not the ones uh, influencing me. They are when I was really a big shot, uh, but more when I was more lonely and a little bit more uh, sad and a little bit more vulnerable. 
And I think that's the kind of mentorship that I would encourage people to, 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 to try to have to, uh, and if you can, of course, if you can give time to, 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 to young ones and accept to be their mentor and help them as much as you can. Uh, I started the mentorship program at NATO, um, and uh, I had a, a formidable, uh, German a young lady, uh, uh, she came back from Afghanistan, by the way. And uh, I was so happy to, to be able to work with her. I started in NATO a young professionals program. We offer something like 20 positions. You know how many applications we got for 20 positions? 14, thousands. Thousands. 1,400. And I'm, I'm, I'm meeting those. And I'm not their mentor. And they do a great thing. For three years, they rotate. And once they are working with us in Brussels, then they go to America. And then they go, I don't know, where else. And every six months, I'm meeting the 20 young leaders of NATO. I say, how are you those guys doing? I'm not their mentor. I'm just a, a, a more seasoned guy uh, trying to see how they, how they, how they enjoy our ex the experience with, with my organization. And I'm, um, yeah. So giving back to the young ones is, is, is very, 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 very fulfilling and, and very rewarding. I love mentoring young, hungry people. As you know, I have a summer... Uh, intern program. Uh, your daughter was in my program. She's phenomenal. I remember. Um, we got a thousand applications now each summer. It's become a thing. And there's nothing more enjoyable to me than to take someone young and hungry and motivated and make a huge difference in somebody's life. I had dinner last night with one of my interns 11 years ago. She worked at a consulting firm, went to Wharton. Now she's working at a large car company and it's just incredible what she has been able to do. And it's incredible for her to tell me I had a big influence on her career. It, it keeps me going. It motivates me to keep doing it. And with the podcast as well. Continue doing this. Uh, I remember when I was, uh, I think, a few years back, uh, I met uh, um, through the Aspen Institute U.S. Uh, a guy who was working uh, with General McChrystal on a program which was, I think, called uh, National Service. And now it's, I think, a Service Year Alliance. There's a big program that was also adopted by the White House. So basically, it's a, and I think Cisco offered for free the digital platform to have volunteer uh, offer and volunteer needs being matched with private sector, with government, uh, with, with citizens. And it is my, my dream uh, to bring it back to Romania uh, because uh, uh, civic involvement, uh, trying to do these kind of things on big or, or, or smaller scale is very, very important. So I'm, I'm, I'm going to be meeting General McChrystal in, in Washington and try to seek his advice. Uh, and I also talked to, to Chuck Robbins, the CEO of, of Cisco, to say if he would be able to do in a smaller uh, replica in Romania. And I'm, I'm dreaming of the day when we'll have uh, people, uh, uh, you know, doing, you know, not only the military service, but also the civic service and trying to give something back to the community. So congratulations for, for the work you're doing with, uh, with the young ones. Thank you. I appreciate that. You've been very successful in your career. You've had jobs that take an enormous amount of time, day, night, morning. I'm sure you get woken up with crazy things from time to time. What's the secret to work-life balance? And what's your advice to people at when they're 20 years old versus 30 years old versus 40 years old? Where's that line? For me, uh, doing sports and listening to music. 
and of course family. But I would say that these are the two big things that you have to keep your emotional side and your brain, uh, you know, in sync. And uh, my life was not only always full of success. I had lots of difficult moments. I had lots of difficult moments. And um, uh, when you're very successful, there is an adrenaline of success coming with you. You're pumped up. You do things. You're, you're in a way, you feel fulfilled. The art of living a meaningful life is to try to, to, to stay afloat at least when you're low. And again, family, uh, sports, learning something new, and listening to lots of music. I love music, all sorts of music. I mentioned uh, the, the Super Bowl halftime show, but also you know classical music or whatever kind of music I, I just love. And I, I think that uh, the combination between, it's again, mind, body, and spirit. Uh, and you can find a balance between the three, you, you'll be able to serve through life and have a meaningful life. What keeps you up at night? You know, when you work with things uh, so complex, like the ones I'm working with here in NATO, sometimes I, I, uh, you, you also have a tendency to, to, to have a sort of a foresight for bad things to happen. I had in, uh, uh, in Brussels uh, uh, a, a new friend of ours that also worked, uh, uh, Anna, that uh, uh, interned for you, also uh, worked for uh, uh, a great lady here. And uh, she came to speak to NATO and the European Union about uh, antimicrobial uh, uh, disease. So we developed, uh, we developed a sort of an immunity uh, to antibiotics and to things like this. And that's becoming a big issue. And the World Health Organization is saying that it's one of the 10 uh, dangerous things to come. I'm not saying I'm waking uh, up at night because of these things. But in the business of working with crises, I'm thinking, which will be the next one to hit us? And even more than that, which will be the combination of crises that will be hitting us at the same time. So in a way, uh, I'm, I have a sort of a dooms, uh, uh, you know, instinct in, in, in my, in my radars. And in a way, this is bad because it can wake you up at night. It's also good because you, you are more resilient and be expecting the unexpected. So for the young ones, I say buckle up because there will be lots of unexpected things coming in your life. And the more complicated life is, uh, the more you have to go to the simple things that keep us as human beings uh, who we are, uh, which is love, compassion, giving something back to society, and trying to improve yourself all, all, all your life. Your term as Deputy Secretary General of NATO is four years. You've been asked to stay another year. What's next for you after you leave NATO? I don't know. We have, you know... You know, I think we are, we are in a way lucky to have this, this big job at NATO because I learned lots of things. We have many options after we leave. We might go back to Romania and continue uh, the work that we have started there. We could uh, do something different. Anyway, I'll do everything I will do. I will do with the same passion and, uh, uh, I hope I'll be invited again on your podcast. I love you. I love for you to be on, especially if you're the president of Romania. That would be a super. We'll see. Time, time will tell us. You, you, yeah. Again, I'm vaccinated with politics, so we'll see what, what life brings us. Before we finish today, I want to go ahead and ask some more open-ended questions. I call this part of my podcast, Fill in the Blank to Excellence. Are you ready to play? Sure. The biggest lesson I've learned in life is? Is never give up.
my number one professional goal is to be the best in my profession of politics. My number one personal goal is to see my kids happy. My biggest regret is that I was not doing enough when I had the opportunity to change uh, to change things in life. The one thing I've dreamed of for a long time but haven't done yet is uh, to go to a Super Bowl final, to a game. I, I attended the Lakers game, and by the way, they, uh, I'm very happy that they made it uh, on the way up. But I would like to really go to, to, to a Super Bowl and to see them, the, uh, the halftime show live. That's something I really want to do if I could. I don't know. Let's see. Well, next year will be where? Okay, we'll find out. I, I'm not sure where it is next year. Who's your favorite football team? Uh, in Romania is my, you know, my family's team, which is a small, a smaller team. Um, of course, all of us are looking to Premier League. Uh, we are big soccer fans uh, in Europe. So I was watching the Arsenal Manchester City competition and see who's going to win the, the Champions League. That's, that's big. That's a big deal. Do you have a favorite team, our kind of football, American football? No. I attended a few games. I played rugby football, you know, when I was young also for two years. So I love American football because it reminds me of the original uh, rugby football, which was the inspiration for American football too. If you could go back in time and give yourself one piece of advice to your 21-year-old self, what would it be? Take more time with your kids when they're young. The only regret I have, because being so busy and so absorbed with everything I do and being so driven, that sometimes probably I didn't give my kids enough quality time as a father as I should have. Thanks, in, thanks God that my wife, Mihaela, compensated somehow, and I, I hope the kids are not uh, holding anything against me. If you could meet one person in the world, who would it be? Myself. What do you mean by that? Just being the better, the better uh, self that I, I know I can be. I, 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 I think... Uh, we should not dream of being someone else. I think we should dream to being the better version of oneself. What's the one question you wish that I'd asked you? Uh, I, I would have hoped you don't ask the question about returning to Romanian politics, but uh, because that's my team tells me never touch on that one. You've done amazing things in your career. You're doing a great job at NATO. I'm so grateful for you to make time for coming in today. Thanks for being here on In Search of Excellence. Thank you so much, and I hope that the young ones will be watching our show. They're going to love it.